Hey, new edition. Very, very nice. How are you guys doing tonight? Woo! All right. I've got two little kiddos at home, and they have been dying to go up in the snow and go sledding. There they are. They've been bugging me for quite some time. We were up in Arrowhead about a week and a half ago with some family, and I said, you know what, why don't we go try heading over to Big Bear, see if they got any snow left. And they have these places, I don't know if you've seen them, but you can pay them some money, and they'll give you a tube, and you can sled down their hill. Well, I looked into this as I was driving by, $30 a person, $30 a person. I looked at that big old line waiting to get in, people everywhere, it looked absolutely terrible. But because I'm the loving father that I am, because the kids have been dying to go for so long, because they're in the back seat looking at me with those sad puppy dog eyes, finally I said, "Ah, forget it, no way, we're not doing that. $120 for the family of four, I couldn't bring myself to do it. So we kept on driving down the road, found that fine hill of snow, free, over on the side of a parking lot. So that list looks great. Why don't we go sledding there? So there they are, raring to go. The older one, he's on the left, straight up the hill, looks at dad for a nod of reassurance, and he goes flying down the hill. Now he's a boy. He's got the innate skill to crash into a tree whenever possible, but he's bouncing off trees. He's having a fun time. The younger one, not so much, a little less sure of himself. Didn't help that the only snow outfit we had was an 18-month outfit. You can see him there with his arms and his legs sticking out of the thing. <laughs> Apparently, dressing him up like a baby didn't help his confidence, but he was completely timid. He was freaked out by the whole thing. And I thought, well, this is pretty interesting. Two kids, we got the same hill of snow, same sleds. They're the little round Clark Griswold sleds, right? Just go flying down the hill. There's no steering involved, but completely different experiences. The older one, he had confidence that he'd be okay. He might ricochet off a tree or two, but he was confident he'd be okay, and he had a great time. The younger one lacked confidence. So he was timid, and he was hesitant. Different levels of confidence, completely different experiences. And I thought, how often confidence is the difference maker in life? It's so important, no matter what you're doing. You want to go and interview for a job? Well, guess what? You better have confidence. Your employer is going to look for that. You want to be good in a sport? You've got to have confidence in what you're doing. You want to be an effective speaker? You've got to speak with confidence. If you have conviction, if you have confidence in what you're doing, people will listen and people will pay attention. How much more so is confidence important in the Christian life? Confidence not in yourself, but in an almighty God. If you live your life with the confidence in God that his word is true, that his promises, they'll never fail, that's going to make a world of difference. Confidence is going to make you so much more effective at living for God. So we're going to look at 1 John 3 tonight, and we're going to see in our passage, short little passage, three specific ways that confidence can improve our effectiveness at living for God. So why don't we go ahead and turn to that passage, 1 John 3, We are going to look at verses 19 through 24. A slightly shorter lesson tonight. We want to make sure you have plenty of time to discuss this in your small group. So we're just going to tee up the topic here, give you time in small group to discuss. But we're going to discuss again those three ways confidence can improve our effectiveness for God. 
So let's look at 1 John 3. Let's pick it up in verse 19. It says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have, here's our word, confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And as you read through this passage, you just get a sense of confidence brimming through the whole thing. Look back at verse 19. By this we shall know, we have confidence, we shall know we are of the truth. Again, confidence. And we shall reassure our hearts. Now, why do we need to reassure our hearts? Because verse 20 says our heart condemns us. Why does our heart condemn us? Condemns us at times because we have sinned. All of us encounter this in our lives. And very quickly in this passage, we come to a key question. How, as a Christian, living for God, do you deal with continued sin in your life? What do you do when you realize that you've fallen short of the divine standard? When you realize that Christ has set the bar so high and you are hopelessly inadequate? When you know you haven't always loved others as you should? You haven't always done God's will. And you're tempted maybe to give up. Tempted to think, oh, I'm not worthy of God, not worthy of his love. God could never use a person like me. And you're in danger of losing your confidence. And you're going to need a bit of reassurance as the end of verse 19 talks about. Well, where are you going to get that reassurance? You can get it from yourself, from your heart, from your conscience. That's that's unreliable. Sometimes your heart does its job. Sometimes it points out sin and your need for repentance. But sometimes the enemy gets in there, causes you to doubt God's love for you. Well, how are you going to tell the difference? Sometimes it's hard to tell. That's why John, in our passage, takes it way up from our heart all the way up to God. Verse 20 says, well, whenever our heart condemns us, it might do that at times. God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. God knows exactly who you are. God knows all about your failures. He knows all about the sin that keeps plaguing your life. And he also knows if you're a child of his, if you've repented of your sins, if you've placed your trust in Christ, he knows that you've got a commitment to serving him. He knows your true allegiance despite all of your failures. So one thing as a Christian you can never do is doubt God's love for you. You start doubting God's love, it's going to be debilitating. It's going to make you ineffective at living for him. So if you're a child of God, point number one on your outline, you need to confidently trust in God's love. Confidently trust in God's love. That's the first way confidence can improve your effectiveness living for God. It can remove doubt, give you confidence in his love. You don't have to worry that you haven't done enough for God that you're not good enough. You can be confident. You can rest assured because your salvation is not based on yourself. It's not based on anything you do. Your salvation is based in God. God knows your failures. He knows exactly who you are. He knows everything about you, and he loves you just the same. And he sees you out there, maybe imperfectly trying to serve him. And he says, 
That's my child. Think about this, my five-year-old, Mr. Inconfident with the short snow outfit. He, uh, he's got a chore chart, and he's got a couple of things he needs to do. One of the things he needs to do is make his bed. And if I were honest with you, I'd tell you, he stinks at it. He's no good. He's got pillows all askew. He's got the covers falling off the bed, but he's, he's only five. And I see him. The only way he can do this, he's so small, the only way he can make his bed is he gets up on his bed, lays down, pulls the covers up over him, and then he slips out underneath. <laughs> and I don't look at him and say, dude, you know, quite honestly, that's terrible. <laughs> you did a bad job making your bed. No, what I do, I see my son doing his best to do what da- da- dad asked him to do. And I'm pleased with that. You can have confidence if you're doing your best to obey God that he is going to be pleased with that. Now, of course, there's a caveat here. can't just go doing whatever you want. It doesn't matter. God's going to love me anyways. You know that, right? 2 Peter 1.10, I put a verse on the screen. It says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. What does that mean? How do you confirm your calling and election? You go out there, you start doing good deeds for God, you start obeying him, that confirms your calling and your election. You've got to have progress in living for God, but if you're doing this, if you're a child of him, if you're out there serving him, you can be confident in that. Any doubt of God's love, you've got to stop it. Get any sin, any feelings of guilt that maybe you've confessed, but it's still there, it's still plaguing your life, you have got to toss that aside. Any worry, that you're no good, no good. I got no skills. God can't use someone like me. Anything keeping you from serving God, you have got to get over it. You got to be confident in who you are, a child of the Almighty God. You got to trust in His love, and then go out there and prove it by doing what He says. And if you're doing that, verse 21 says, if your heart does not condemn you, if you're obeying God. We can have, and there's our word again, confidence before God. And then verse 22 of 1 John 3 says, honestly, I think one of the most amazing statements in all of the Bible. It says, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Think about that. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Does anything, anything sound further from the reality of what happens in our prayer life? Is anyone out there right now thinking this? Yeah, whatever, ask God. Yeah, yeah, I get it from him. I mean, when does this happen? Yet Jesus in John 14, 14, put it on the screen, says exactly the same thing. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Yet so many of us, we've got our prayers, feel like it's just bouncing off the ceiling. Day after day, week after week, month after month, we're praying to God and those prayers seemingly go unanswered. And eventually, we lose interest. Prayer life gradually goes dry. You end up feeling distant from God. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Problem is, if this is you, you don't understand how prayer works. Because if you did, you could approach God with confidence that he would do what you ask. So let's get the point down, and then we'll explore it a bit further. Point number two, you need to confidently pray to God. Second way confidence can make you more effective is it can give you a vibrant and a healthy prayer life. Two steps, though. Two steps to this. First, you've got to deal with your sin. Verse 21, if our heart does not condemn us, leads us to believe there are times when our heart does condemn us. 
If you do, if your heart's condemning you, you've got sin in your life, you've got to confess it to get back in fellowship with God. If you've got unconfessed sin in your life and you try to get down your knees and you try to pray to God and you expect it to work, it's not going to happen. Psalm 66, 18, I believe. Psalmist says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, if I got sin I'm just holding on to in my life, God's not going to listen. You've got to take your sin before God. That's going to be the first step of what you do. Because if you don't, God's not going to listen. But once you've done this, once you've confessed your sin to God, now you can approach him with confidence, boldly, knowing that, you'll, that he'll do what you ask. Confidence. Well, how can we have confidence that he'd do what we ask? If you've confessed your sin, now you're in fellowship with God. If you're in fellowship with God, your desires are starting to get in tune with him. And you're going to want the same things. And now the things that you're asking of God are going to be those things that are already according to his will. If you're doing this, if you've confessed your sin, if you're tight with God, if you're coming before him every morning, bowing your knee and pouring out your heart to God, if you're doing this, I'll tell you what your prayer life is not going to look like. You're not going to be saying, God, just give me a nicer car. Got to have a nicer car and just, God, put, put Sally in her place for saying those, those horrible things about me. Yeah, just put her in her place. Those, these are ungodly desires. Right? You're not going to be praying these things if you're in fellowship with God. What your prayers are going to look like are, God, give me, give me energy to serve you at church this weekend wholeheartedly. God, help me know how I can love my spouse sacrificially. God, help me, help me be the kind of husband, or God, help me be the kind of wife that you have called me to be. And whatever you ask, if this is how you pray, God's going to do it. And even if you do have a desire that's not according to his will, and let's be honest, that might happen from time to time, God's going to bend that desire back to his will. So think about this. You either get what you asked for, or you get something even better as God changes your desire to his desire. I thought about this because a couple years ago I, uh, I lost my job. Started praying for a new job. Thought, this is a pretty godly thing. God's, God's going to give me a new job. I'm going to provide for my family. This is a good thing. It took me seven months to find a new job. I didn't get what I asked for, at least not immediately. But as I look back at it now, I realize I got something better. I got a trust and a reliance on God. I got to experience God carrying me through a trial. And that experience helps me today. I didn't get what I asked for. I got something better. And this is such a powerful concept. Confidence in God that you'll get what you ask or you'll get something even better. If you can wrap your mind around this, this is going to radically change your prayer life. It's going to radically change your relationship with God. Confidently pray to God. Now, verse 22 of 1 John 3 ends, interestingly, got a condition attached. You'll notice I didn't read all of verse 22. It says, whatever we ask, we receive from him because, here's the condition, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. We get what we ask because we're obeying God. And if we're not obeying God, we're not in fellowship with him. And then you're going to have your desires that are in contrast to what God wants, and then he's not going to grant those things. So the condition, you got to be doing what God commands you to do. Well, what did God command me to do? That's why we have verse 23 here. Pretty much the summation of the entire New Testament in one verse. Here we go. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Faith, love, working together, it's that easy. Just have faith and love. You might be thinking, I don't know. 
That sounds pretty hard. Love others as Christ love, selflessly, sacrificially. I'm struggling with my sin. I'm struggling with my selfishness. I don't know, God. It sounds like you're, uh, sounds like you're setting me up for failure here. How can I really do this? Verse 24 holds the key. It says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. God's going to be right there with us, abiding in us as we're living for him. Abiding, the imagery John uses here in this word is the same word he uses back in his gospel. And the analogy of the, of the vine and the branches. Or Jesus said, John 15, 5, put this one on the screen as well. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever, now there's our word, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. He it is that accomplishes things for God. He is, is the out there doing good deeds effective for God. Because you know what? Apart from me, you can't do anything. God is right there helping us along the way. But it gets even better. Go back to 1 John, the end of verse 24. By this we know he abides in us. There's a promise here. By the Spirit whom he has given us. God gives us the Holy Spirit living inside us, prompting us to do the good that we're supposed to do. So quick review. Let's think about where we're at. We're confident in God's love, never doubting. We've got close communion with him. We're confident in our prayers. And now third, we've got the Holy Spirit abiding in us. Empowering us to do good things for God. Think of the things that you can do for God, not on your own, but with the creator of the universe, with the almighty God, with the sovereign Lord over every living thing, abiding in you, empowering you to do good for him. Point number three on your outline, you need to confidently live for God. Confidently live for God. God's right there abiding with you. Too often we go through life afraid. Afraid of failure. Afraid of people making fun of us. Afraid of being rejected. Afraid of being excluded. As a Christian, you have no business being afraid. Let me say that that again. As a Christian, you have no business being afraid of the things of this life. Because if you can just envision, even just a little bit, the type of relationship that God has designed between you and him, there's not a single obstacle in this world that should concern you. Let's think about, think about evangelism. Does that concern you? Does that worry you? How many of you are bold and confident in your evangelism? I thought about this just before the holidays. I was in a meeting at work. Me and just one other guy, new guy, was there about you know, a minute or two before the meeting starts, and uh, he asks me, so are the uh, kids excited about Santa Claus? Now, my kids know there's no Santa Claus, and this isn't a commentary on what you do about Santa, but we want them focused on Jesus during the holidays. And that's what I should have said to the guy. But I'm thinking, oh, people are going to be walking in here in 20 seconds, and I don't want to get in this discussion about Jesus. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird. But a confident Christian would have busted right out there with it, knowing that God's right there with him, abiding with him, that he's got a plan. He's going to work it out. You've got opportunities to speak for God. You have got to be confident in those. You've got to lay the gospel out there. Don't mince your words. Trusting that God is right there with you. How about finances? Maybe you've got financial trouble. Maybe the budget is tight. Maybe you know you ought to be given off the top to God, but you got bills due, you got rent that's coming, and you say to God, I, I don't know if I can afford it. If you're confident that God loves you, if you're confident that God will provide for you, 
You think your giving would look a little different? Your checkbook's going to look different? Or maybe you're in a trial right now. Maybe you're fighting with your spouse. Maybe you're sitting out there right now and something's not right in your marriage. Maybe you got bad news from the doctor. Maybe you lost your job. How are you going to handle that? You're going to worry? You're going to get depressed? Or are you going to be motivated? Motivated that you've got a God that loves you, a God that abides in you, a God that will carry you through any trial. Confidence. Confidence makes all the difference. Confidence says so much, not just about ourselves. It says a lot about what we think about God. Think about my older son at the top of the sledding hill, looking down, going, I don't know, this looks steep. Got trees in the way. Looks over at dad. Dad's nodding his head. He says, well, dad says this is okay. I guess it's okay. Complete trust in his father. We need complete trust and confidence in our father. Confidence that he loves us, never doubting that love. Confident in our prayers. No, we can come before God and if we ask, According to his name, he's going to do it. And confidently living for God, knowing that he is with us each and every step of the way. Confident we can live for him, we can speak up for him, and we can sacrifice with him because we know he's right there with us. Let's go ahead and pray. God, I just thank you so much for your promises in Scripture. And we just read three of them tonight that um, really are amazing, that, that we can be confident in your love for us. We know that if we're a child of you, nothing can take away that love. And we know that we can confidently come before you in prayer, knowing that that is time with you, knowing that you hear and knowing that you answer as we ask godly prayers. And mostly, God, we just know that, that you're abiding there with us every step of the way. As we go through this life, we are not on our own. We have you living with us, helping us, teaching us the ways to, do, to, to go and empowering us to live for you. Lord, that's such an amazing thing. And I just pray for every person here tonight that they can have a greater realization of that so that the confidence can grow knowing that you are living in us and empowering us. I thank you for this knowledge. And I just pray for this small group time tonight that, that you can really um, encourage the group and just help us have a better understanding after tonight of, of the confidence that we should have in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.